This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Alison Wagenfeld might have gotten her start in marketing thanks to the promise of a turkey sandwich, but she found success thanks to a drive and intellect that separated her from others. Today, Allison is the Vice President of Marketing for Google Cloud, and the work she and Google are doing has an impact across the industry. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Allison talks about how she looks at hard problems, what kind of marketing strategy she's focusing on at Google Cloud, and why she believes that the partnership between the CMO and the CIO is critical to achieving business success. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And we are at Google HQ, Google Cloud HQ, here in the Googleplex. Allison, what's going on? Great to be here. Thanks for coming to visit us here in Sunnyvale. I know. It's it's fun. I always love driving through. You get the green foothills on the right. Uh, it's just a great place to be. And it's a great place to be talking about marketing and all things your career and Google Cloud. But first, how did you get into marketing in the first place? So it's interesting. I was a liberal arts major in college and wanted to work in business. I've always been pretty entrepreneurial. I was the kind of kid that had a Brett business when I was 13 and a stationary business when I was 15. And I didn't really know how to get into business, however, so I took a job at investment banking coming out of undergrad and worked for a couple of years in New York and in Hong Kong and then went to business school. And when I got to business school, I really wanted to switch gears and get more involved in tech and marketing. But it turns out it's really hard to get interviews with companies when you're background is basically being an English major and working in investment banking. So Microsoft was coming to campus. This was the late nineties and I didn't get on the interview schedule. And I showed up that morning at 7am to greet the interviewer from Microsoft and asked if I came during lunch and brought him a turkey sandwich, would he interview me <laughs> during lunch? And I think he was a little taken aback, didn't quite know what to make of it. And lo and behold, ended up interviewing me. It was um, Russ Siegelman, who was heading up the Microsoft network at the time and ended up getting that job and having an opportunity to work as a product manager at Microsoft. And that's what then launched me into my career in product and tech and marketing. Good sandwich, better interview. Yes. <laughs> was it one of those like cold sandwiches from the deli or was uh, something it was, good? It turns out he actually didn't really need the lunch, oh. I guess. <laughs> Harvard Business School fed him somehow anyway, but still got me into the room and he did take the time to meet with me then. Yeah. It seems like there's so many times where, you know, getting into marketing, so many people have like a non-traditional background getting into marketing, um, but it's something that they feel passionate about uh, or getting into tech. And it takes kind of that one person to kind of change the change the trajectory. Yeah, no, it was great. And it turns out interesting that Russ then ended up um, coming back into my career later on when I was working at Intuit and was ready to transition. I had a, started the Quicken Loans business for Intuit, a really great entrepreneurial role of building that up. And then we ultimately spun that out and figuring out what was next and when I was thinking about going to a startup, I ran into Russ and we ended up having coffee and he was then a partner at Kleiner Perkins and had an opportunity to go be the second employee at a company they were incubating out of Kleiner Perkins, an opportunity to be the VP of marketing for that company. So uh, it all comes full circle. I often tell people and tell my kids that, you know, the 
people you meet in your career, you're going to run into many times in the future. And remember that everything is always like a perpetual back channel as well. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how many of those scenarios end up being, you know, the job that you didn't even knew existed down the road for a company that hadn't even been created yet. Yeah, no, it was great. And so it was um, fun to be able to be an early employee and an early marketer to build because that's, um, you know, while I've done marketing and done tech, it's always been in a building type of role. So it's um, all of those different aspects has made this role at Google Cloud really interesting. Yeah. So flash forward to today, tell me about what it means to be the CMO of Google Cloud. So Google Cloud is on this incredible growth trajectory. When I came here a little over three years years ago, we were still in the early days where we had what was then called Google Apps for Work, which is now G Suite, which is all of our apps and productivity and collaboration technology and pretty nascent Google Cloud platform, GCP, as some people know it. And the technology was incredible, but the go-to-market was really limited at that point. And so over the last couple of years, we've been building out go-to-market in all different dimensions, everything from partner marketing to events, to our field marketing teams, to um, you know, really enabling our regions to really bring stories to life, product marketing, it um, on almost every single dimension we've been growing and now particularly investing in all of um, different types of demand gen because we have so many great solutions now available and really great customer stories. And we're in a really good position to be able to bring that all to market. So it's been very wide reaching and again, very entrepreneurial, but um, really operating at global scale has been some of the biggest challenges and opportunities of the role. Were you in part responsible for the ad where it's everybody running with the pencil, the billboard on 101? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, it's, it's was, it, was it good? No, yeah, it's I should great. take responsibility if it yeah. was great. But. Well, it, was, it was a G Suite ad and it was like the first time that I had ever seen a G Suite ad and it was like a billboard on 101 and it was all these people running together with a pencil. Oh, oh that one, yes. Yeah. So, no, that was in late 2016, yes. That yeah. was our first All Together Now campaign when yeah. we rebranded. So I'm glad you remember that. Yeah. So we rebranded from Google Apps for work to G Suite and did um, a fairly tight, small campaign just in the context of that rebranding uh, called All Together Now. And we showed different ways of teams working together. And that was one of them. Well, you know, what's funny is so a little bit, so essentially like the next year is when we founded this company, uh, Mission. And uh, we built, you know, everything on on G Suite and and like it was, you know, cloud everything and all that. and what's really interesting is just how many like older companies were at that at that one moment in time starting to think about like the small business as someone that you can just like immediately spin up cloud everything and like all of your stuff is just right there and it's like so easy to start and it just felt like you know right at that time that like 2016 2017 time frame where now you had so much power with such a cheap price tag, which was like the big thing is like, wow, to set up all this stuff instantaneously um, and you have it all at your fingertips and Google Analytics and all this sort of stuff. It's just like, man, this is great. Yeah. So it's interesting that that was a lot of the early parts of building out Google Cloud was more of the startups, the digital native companies, yeah. those that could literally people could show up for work with Chromebooks, as I see you have one here mm-hmm. and have everything be cloud enabled and grow from there. Where a lot of our growth in the last 18 months has been is actually with bigger enterprise companies, yeah. with companies such as Target, who are using Google Cloud Platform as a pretty foundational technology. And we are in 
increasingly expanding the scope of our business and therefore expanding the scope of our marketing from everything from small startups all the way to the biggest companies in the world and helping them do kind of the much used buzzword of digital transformation. But it's really very real where a company that's been around for a hundred plus years has to reinvent itself every you know, generation or so to stay relevant. And the reinvention that's happening right now with cloud at the core and with Google Cloud is being a really important partner. And that has been an exciting part of the business. Yeah. I mean, I, we would talk all the time as a company uh, just about how, you know, when you're a small company and you're fighting, you know, bigger companies for whatever it is, um, how you need to stay, you know, lean and nimble and, and fast and speed and agility are, you know, the currency in which you can win. Right. And I always just felt that way, you know, on G Suite where it's like, we're just so fast. Like our storage is so fast. The way we communicate is so fast. Everything is integrated. We can, we use, I don't even know how many we're doing at technology auto right now. I think we use like, something like 36 technologies or something like that. Uh, it's probably even underselling it, but just like the speed and agility of which that you can move. And you're like, you're so much faster than these big companies. Um, but when you talk to executives of bigger companies that are trying to figure out how you can leverage that speed and there are tools now that you can do those sort of things, but it takes that digital transformation. How do you, you know, who are you meeting with? Who are you talking with about those sort of things? How are you doing like customer development and learning those insights and those pain points? Yeah. So a really important part of our marketing is thinking about personas. Of course, that's true with all marketing strategies. And as we've been expanding into bigger and bigger companies, there's really three core audiences we're focused on. One is the C-suite, but specifically CIOs and CTOs. And they um, often report into the CEO when it's really executive level decisions. And that's often who's driving this overall transformation agenda. And then there is what we call the IT decision maker, ITDM, who is generally someone who's going to bring it all to life. And then at the same time, the developers are really important and we want developers to try Google Cloud Platform, learn from it, be able to feel really agile and be able to think about all the problems they can solve with Google Cloud. And so it's important that we talk to all three audiences, but as a marketer, how we talk to three audiences might be very different where for developers, we'll do more types of hands-on workshops and different kinds of hackathon type events. And then for the IT decision makers, we're really showing how we can make their jobs better and how they can move faster and really be able to achieve more. And then with the C-suite, we're talking not just about technology, but talking about having that, how do they think about all of their business opportunities and use Google Cloud to optimize their current business, grow their revenues, and also reimagine themselves for the future. And we need to be able to talk at all three levels and how we do marketing is different by different areas. I mean, some of the same tactics are the same, like you might use events, but you would do different kinds of events or digital marketing and uh, that approach and that's the nuance and the interesting aspect of marketing. Yeah. So in one of our other podcasts, uh, IT Visionaries that I host, we have interviewed probably, you know, a hundred CIOs and CTOs um, over the past year. And what's so interesting is CIOs and CMOs are very similar now in terms of they're, you know, the two youngest in the C-suite, they're the two most fired in the C-suite. Uh, they're usually the person who holds like the keys to technology and like customer insights now because there's, you know, more and more CMOs are, are being close to the customer. Um, and, 
you're responsible for, you know, parts of innovation uh, and looking for new technologies, looking for new things. How do you as CMO, like, how do you look at, you know, driving innovation and kind of working with, you know, CIOs and CTOs to see those things? Because it seems like the way that you all market is a little bit different and it's so value add and it's so, you know, creating an ecosystem where people can thrive. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I'll answer that in two ways. One, in terms of how I personally work with our CIO and yeah. our systems team. And then also how do we communicate and market to them? Because uh, it's related to some degree. So for me to be able to be an effective marketer, I need to think about the technology stack that we're using. And for example, how would we use artificial intelligence and machine learning to be able to make better product recommendations or to be able to um, optimize our spending online or even doing some creative. For example, we used our own ML machine learning technology to create real-time creative during the halftime of a basketball game using data from the first half of the basketball game to be able to create live commercials during the halftime that could then make predictions about the second half. So it was contextual, it was interesting, it was challenging, and it demonstrated our own technology. So we work with our own systems team on that. And so I think that the partnership between the CMO and the CIO is actually really critical because... Both teams, they need each other to be able to achieve the business objectives. And especially because marketing is typically a pretty high expense in any company of the really being able to do that thoughtfully is important. And then in terms of reaching out to CIOs, I think it's important as marketers that we understand the challenges that they're under, which is often CIOs actually don't have bigger budgets. They're asked to being able to do more with less. And so we have to give them a path forward to be able to make a difference, to be able to work with their business product leaders and be able to demonstrate the value of using cloud technology in very real ways. And often that's why we think about it from an industry perspective, because the challenges facing a retail CIO might be very different than that facing a media CIO. And so we want to make sure that we can communicate Uh, the value of our technology and provide the customer reference materials that are very specific to each industry vertical, which is a really core part of how we're building out our marketing. And you've done some cool campaigns like, you know, partnering with the Warriors and Steph Curry, Andre Iguodala, folks like that. You've obviously have a huge uh, partnership with Salesforce who sponsors this podcast. We love Salesforce. Um, But you've done some of these kind of bigger, you know, higher concepts, um, partnerships and campaigns. How do you view those type of campaigns? Yeah. So part of our marketing philosophy of our team is show, don't tell. And so rather than just telling people, oh, Google Cloud is awesome, like how can we demonstrate that? And so it's much more effective to find something that people can relate to, like sports and the examples of the Warriors, or even um, in case you have any UK listeners, we were uh, have a partnership with the FA over oh, in the UK, cool. um, their football team as in soccer for us here in the States. <laughs> and it's way more effective when the, I had an opportunity to interview Gareth Southgate and he talked about using Google Cloud Analytics to think about how they do penalty kicks. Yeah, And that is a way to demonstrate the value of analytics more than just saying, oh, you should use BigQuery. Yeah. And so it's been great to work with sports teams to show that in a way that's um, certainly very accessible. What's the insight? 
How should they do penalty kicks? Yeah, he didn't want to share that. He said that that was confidential uh, as they're gearing up for the Euros in 2020. Well, we have listeners in 130 plus countries. So I think uh, football to most of them probably means uh, means what soccer is. Uh, <laughs> right. So. Okay, good. Um, that's really cool. I didn't know that. That's that's a, that's a pretty cool thing. Any, uh, any Warriors insights on... Uh, I'm, they have a huge analytics team, so I'm sure they're all over it. They do. And they're like, we're working with the Warriors in a number of different ways. Certainly um, some of their player analytics and they've been talking about, in fact, they were on stage at our Google Cloud Next event last year talking about how they were looking at um, who should defend who based mm. on different kinds of matchups and using analytics for that. Of course, all that analysis from last year is not, it's a little bit moot this year, yeah. seeing that the entire starting lineup is different this year, but we'll get back there hopefully. Yeah. We need all that injury data now. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of a sad, poor guys, sad state of the Warriors, but they're, they're in a good building spot, there as you they go. say. And so they do that, but they're also looking at using cloud technology to, um, as the Warriors have a new arena and the new Chase Center and how are they getting the right people with the right ticket information at the right time. So we also have a cloud for marketing set of initiatives where we have different technology that can help marketers in different types of organizations use um, a much more modern set of analytics for those, those purposes as well. When we interviewed Beth Comstock, she was talking about how um, everyone thought that she had this massive budget at GE because it's like GE. Uh, I'm sure that you get some of that too, where it's like, it's Google. So of course you have the biggest budget in the world and all this sort of stuff. Um, I'm sure that's not the case, but I'm curious, like, how do you look at spending? How do you look at like creating experiments and testing things and look at like, you know, opportunities that can, you know, return a, a ton for the, the investments that you're putting in? Yeah. So this is an interesting time to be asking that because we're in the middle of December, which is of course planning time and most coming budget season. And so we look at it in terms of what first, what are the outcomes that we want to drive? So we have goals for 2020 around building awareness and building preference and consideration with our target audiences and also driving demand so that we can help our sales team generate the pipeline yeah. that they need. And so those are some of the types of goals. And then we think about our budget in terms of allocating against these different outcomes. And then we also think about it in terms of different parts of the world. Like where do we want to allocate budget in the US versus Europe versus Asia versus Latin America. And so we think about it in all of these different elements. And it's, um, of course, there's always the need for trade-offs with any type of budgeting because no team ever has. I've never heard a, com- a company or a team say, oh, I have more than enough budget to do yeah. what I want to do. And that, um, but you wouldn't really want to do a campaign if you didn't spend enough behind it, you know, in terms of brand or awareness campaign. So we have to look at what are the minimum levels needed to achieve certain kinds of outcomes and which parts can we scale up or scale down and what parts can we test in the first half of the year and then expand on during the second half of the year. So lots of alignment discussions going on. And for something as big as Google Cloud, you could imagine there's different types of products and solutions that we want to be able to highlight as well. Plus, we want to go to market with some of our partners. And so uh, we are in the midst of all those trade-offs, but I feel like we're landing in a really good place. And then once a budget is set, um, of course, as your listeners will know, then there's a socialization element that goes around with it. We're talking to all the stakeholders and helping convey the outcomes that we're going to work together on. And so we'll move into that phase. We've been doing that all along, but certainly moving into that phase now too. Well, and I think, you know, for a company that has, you know, 
probably as close to 99.999% you know, brand awareness for, uh, for the company, um, anyone who has access to the internet. Um, but you also, like you said, there were, you know, there are uh, rebranding that happens within Google Cloud. Google Cloud might mean one thing, GCP or, or you know, whatever it is. Um, there are different brands within that. Um, and then some of those, as you mentioned, are really B2B sales that you need probably one-on-one personalization. Like, you know, like you said, that huge retail CIO, um, their problem set is, you know, potentially one a very unique problem set, even to their peers. How do you look at kind of the balance between those hyper-targeted B2B personalized campaigns versus kind of the larger, larger brand campaigns? Yeah, that's a good question. And that's a lot of the trade-offs that we work on. You know, of course, everyone's familiar with Google overall. Not everyone is familiar with Google Cloud specifically. Mm-hmm. And those that are familiar with Google Cloud, are some of them are not as familiar that we really have a truly enterprise offering because our roots were more, as we were talking before, around SMB totally. and around digital native. So we have to communicate all of that all while um, being thoughtful about communicating the context of the broader Google cloud, broader Google narrative. Mm-hmm. You know, Google across the board is has done some of its own campaign work around security and around helpfulness, and so we want to be part of that as well. So, looking specifically, we um, look at different types of marketing motions, so to speak, to use a marketing buzzword, yeah. based on the audience. You know, for example, CIOs using different types of targeted events, um, very kind of white glove types of experiences will be valuable. Having roundtable dinners with um, peers of theirs would be maybe more valuable than having some big, big joint event that has all kinds of different audiences. So we um, develop all kinds of different, really um, at a pretty kind of micro level set of marketing plans that are by industry, by country, by region, by timing. And, but we have to thread through all of that. What are we trying to convey about Google cloud? So we have to convey why we're different around in terms of our more advanced analytics, in terms of our ability to really problem solve with our customers, in terms of the higher level security and reliability Mm -hmm. that we provide. So there's still constant and consistent messages, but they will be shared in different types of formats for different types of audiences. You've kind of moved back and forth in your career as, you know, marketer, founder, investor, board member, kind of cutting a bunch of those different things. And I'm sure you have people on your team that are, you know, entrepreneurial and, you know, have all these sort of things. How do you kind of bring some of those lessons from being an investor, being a founder, you know, building things to a marketing organization when potentially some of those skill sets might not be obvious that they'd be really valuable, but, but are valuable. Yeah. So I'll go, um, I'll talk a little bit about each of my different roles that I've had and how those have come to bear. So my most recent role before coming to Google was as an operating partner at Emergence Capital, which is an enterprise cloud venture capital firm. And so I had the opportunity there to work with over 30 portfolio companies on their go-to-market strategies. So that turned out to be really interesting exposure to everything from how do you build a modern marketing stack and what are you measuring, which of course is um, much easier to do with your, when you're a startup than when you are a big company with already has um, some legacy technology in place. 
And, uh, but doing that to working with bigger companies, um, for example, I worked with Zoom, which was one of the portfolio companies and what their strategy was at the time. Worked so out pretty well. It worked out pretty well. I know it's interesting because uh, in some ways we partner with Zoom, uh, Google Cloud, and in some parts we compete with Zoom. Yeah. So it's always been interesting. And I was like, oh, Eric, you're doing such a good job. But, <laughs> so they're an example of a great portfolio company for emergence. But being able to work in that kind of fast time frame when you're at a smaller company, it's in some ways I think about Google cloud as maybe being one of the largest startups of the world, because we've gone so quickly from being a pretty small business to, as of last June, we announced we had an $8 billion run rate. Wow. So that kind of hyper growth scale has a lot of the same lessons that when you're a midsize or a series BC type of company where you're scaling really quickly and are you making sure that you have the right people in place for the next level of growth? Are you, is what you were using for the last year, is that still appropriate uh, to use for the next year? And we're that kind of thinking about constantly reevaluating what's needed to get to the next phase is a really important set of skills that's needed in this kind of growth environment that we're in. So that would be one of the biggest lessons that I took from working with all our portfolio companies. And getting to meet all those founders and seeing how they're running those things. I mean, I think that that, you know, we interview a lot of, of founders and hearing just, you know, a slice of, of their style and all that, but to work, you know, in the weeds with them and then to be able to go take a job like this, where, like you said, you know, your CMO of a, a rapidly growing startup, you know, within a, within a larger company, like I'd imagine that all of those a connections matter, but b those insights of like, oh, that's how they did things, uh, and you can bring those to your team. Yeah, so f for sure, that kind of those really entrepreneurial instincts are important. But then the role that I had right before emergence was running Harvard Business School's California Research Center mm -hmm. in writing and teaching about entrepreneurship and marketing. In that role, I often talked to some of the leading executives of the biggest companies in the world. Like in addition to Google, I wrote case studies about companies like Cisco and other big organizations where I had the opportunity to meet with very senior executives who were struggling with really um, big, hard, messy problems that had really broad organizational implications. And so at the same time as needing the nimbleness of being able to be really entrepreneurial, need to respect, I need to respect, and our team does that, we're part of a really big company. Google's mm -hmm. huge and Google has a lot of um, different elements in place. And ironically, one of the case studies that I wrote was called Keeping Google Googly. And it was for kind of an outside in look about what does it mean to um, keep the best of what Google is while you're growing so fast. And so Partially, I think about that all the time as we're building out a really true enterprise business. But how do we do that in a googly type of way so that we don't look like every other enterprise business out there? So that Harvard Business School role was really interesting from the types of people that I met with and distilling really messy problems in a way that other people can understand and learn from. And so that was an um, important role. And then the roles well, that I had. And I want to I don't want to just pick at that for one second, because I think you wrote probably so many case studies that we all collectively studied. Right. <laughs> you wrote. So I don't know so, if we should thank you or blame you, but so to those of you that uh, did a lot of work with Harvard business school case studies, you've probably been subjected to if, if you did any that were on, um, like California based companies, if you read them, I probably had a role oh, I know. in those. I've, for sure. I remember reading, uh, reading a bunch of HBR stuff when I was at West Point and, uh, and just wondering who is the person, you know, pulling those strings. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah. the, well, the interesting thing 
this is a, a quick side note on this because I think um, those case studies are some of the best pieces of like really close to right now, you know, just in time analysis of what's going on in the marketplace. But that's like part of the reason why, you know, we create podcasts and a network of podcasts is to get cutting edge tactics. And part of the thing is like, it's just too hard to wait like years and years and years for things like that to come out um, and to get those lessons. And there's just so much that is important to catalog those moments in time to write those lessons out and to do the research. It's just so critical to have those insights. Yeah, no, I agree. And I agree. That's interesting to think about podcasts in some ways as a the modern teaching instrument and because case studies did take a couple of months to write, but they live for a really long yeah. time. And in the lessons are um, in some ways, many time are timeless, not all of them, obviously, if I wrote like a dot com kind of case study, those that probably came and went pretty quickly. Maybe, but or maybe it's even, you know, super relevant for blockchain or whatever, you yeah. know, technology does or not that Internet's probably. But anyways, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, and those were, and I wrote on a number of marketing leaders as well. I remember one of the most popular case studies I wrote was around Sephora when Julie Bornstein, who was the CMO then, was building out their whole digital strategy and their community strategy early on. And what does it mean to be kind of a digital first marketer? And this was, you know, I don't know, probably 10 plus years ago when that was pretty, um, you know, ahead of the time. And so a lot of people had an opportunity to learn from that. And I had exposure in that role to so many different companies doing really interesting work. Well, and I think it speaks to the importance of, you know, you, you spent 12 years learning and studying and learning the marketplace. And I think that for a lot of marketers, um, you know, learning is the thing that they do, um, you know, purposefully every now and then maybe, you know, reading a few books or doing that sort of thing, but it's so important to understand the market and market trends. One of our guests on the show said, um, uh, I believe it's Jennifer Johnson, the CMO at Tenable. It's like, you need to be the chief market officer. You need to understand the market better than anyone in the company. And that's where you're the most valuable. And I think that like, you know, seeing your career and seeing it's, you know, not, not necessarily the most linear path to being a CMO. Um, but those type of things, like how that is, how you can, you know, build kind of, you know, tongue in cheek in stealth, right. Yeah. Your skills so that you can then execute those skills like later on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, Learning, I think one of your questions you had mentioned before, you might be asking about what is the most important thing that a CMO needs to know. And it's being able to figure out what you're solving for, ask the right questions, and then know who to ask of those. So I think it's really critical to have a peer group of other people to be able to run some ideas by, um, be part of a network of say, Hey, can I just run this by you? Like if you were going to reorganize part of your team to do X, Y, and Z, how would you do that? And how do you think about scaling globally and what gets done centrally and what gets done globally? And some of these really core questions, because even if you've done all of these before the context matters and where an org is in its own growth path really matters. And so being able to get information, from others. Yeah. So it's, I have certainly a pretty interesting background between very hands-on roles in the early stages, particularly at, you know, building out Quicken Loans or being at a startup to being um, more of a student of marketing to more as an advisor and now being very much in this um, operating everything from kind of master strategist all the way to kind of, you know, I'm still writing copy at times. Yeah, totally. And so and we are, to, we all do to just kind of get the messages just right. What's the thing 
where you're like, this has to come to me. I can't let this out the door. I know I probably should just delegate this, but like, it's got to come to me because I need to see it. So I still get involved in the keynotes for all of our big events, like our Google Cloud Next events and really looking at those elements of it. Um, anything around broad-based campaigns, I would, of course, look at all of those. But then I still like to get involved in some of the details of just not just so much like, oh, how are we titling an email, but how are we testing and learning from mm-hmm. that? I ask a lot about what's the learning plan from this. If we're going to try something new, how do we know if it's successful? How will we take that insight and then be able to iterate going forward? Because we can't possibly predict the success of all these different elements of it. And sometimes I like to look at something like, let's predict of how, what we think will perform best. Then let's see what performs best. And then let's decide whether or not why your predictions may or may not have been correct, because it's really helpful to hone your own insights and understand why you might not have the insight that the market played out that played out in the market. Okay. We have a couple more minutes. Let's get into the lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like B2B marketing automation with Pardot. You can go to pardot.com slash podcast, learn more about marketing automation on the world's number one CRM that is Salesforce. Fast and easy questions, lightning round style. Allison, are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, what's your favorite thing to cook or eat? I just made chicken soup last night with my son and it was awesome. I need some. I needed more chicken soup all week, Thanksgiving and too many germs. Um, what is your favorite app on your phone or the app on your phone that's the most fun? I use Dark Sky a lot because we go up to Tahoe and oh, yeah. I'm constantly looking at the weather of how do we optimize our drives to and from. <laughs> Hidden talent or passion? I love improv. Really? I've done improv classes and that's something that I, I still want to spend more time. One of these days, want to join an improv troupe for some period of time. Yes, and we're, I'm here for yes, it. Yes, and you got um, it. <laughs> What is your best piece of advice for a first-time CMO? Keep learning, ask lots of questions, and um, just learn from what you're doing in the market, learn from your peers, learn from what's happened in the past. Don't just assume because something happened 10 years ago that you can't learn from it because it's um, it's the only way to keep growing and the, the job changes so quickly. What are you most excited about for the future of marketing? Well, I'm most excited about for the future of Google, Google Cloud because we have um, some great campaigns coming out uh, next year and growing with an incredible sales team that's really been growing out right now as well. Uh, the future of marketing. So I continue to believe that marketing is really this combination of art and science and the better we can get at blending those two together is what really gets me the most excited about the discipline. That's it. That's all we got for today. Any final thoughts, anything to plug? I know you have some open recs on the team, so we'll, we'll link it up in the show notes that everybody can check that out. But any, uh, any final things? Uh, no, great. Um, thank you for having me here. Thanks for all of you listening that are customers of G Suite and Google Cloud and of course, Google more broadly. We appreciate your support and insights and feedback and excited to build and grow with you. Awesome. Take care. Great. Thanks so much. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com marketing.
you have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.